It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And today, we have to save the crown, the television show, and the British monarchy. And joining me today is the only person I've ever spoken to who's actually portrayed in my very favorite TV show, probably of all time. And that would be The Crown, the Netflix series, which has taken the world by storm once again because they recently released season five. And it is pretty juicy. I didn't know what to expect from the season, uh, but one of the people who consults on it was one of the people who was very closest to the late Princess Diana, and that is Patrick Jeffson. Um, He worked with her for eight years, from 1988 to 1996. And as you see in the show, he was devoted, patient, and kind, and um, not a very dramatic person which means that it doesn't seem like he tried to fluff his own nest too much. Uh, But then he was betrayed by Martin Bashir. And a lot of people in the United States might not know Martin Bashir from uh, the very famous interview that he did with Princess Diana, but they might remember him from the interview he did with Michael Jackson. And And that's when it got really weird, and that's when Michael Jackson's life kind of fell apart. Uh, But Martin Bashir has used some very nefarious means to, I'm going to guess, to snare subjects other than the late princess. But he forged bank statements and got in touch with Earl Spencer, who is, that's like his title, um, who is Princess Diana's brother, and said, hey, look at this, man. I've got all these bank statements that show the people who are closest to your sister are being paid off uh, by entire security sectors within the British government. And they are paying them off to get information on her to get dirt so they can ruin her life. She should really tell her story to me, Martin Bashir, who at the time was a journalist with the BBC on a show called Panorama. So one of the people that Martin Bashir claimed had been paid off by MI5 and MI6 and various British security services was Patrick Jeffson, who worked directly, closely with the former Princess of Wales. Patrick, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World yet again. Good to be with you, Kennedy. So first of all, how did you get involved with the Crown? Did did you approach them did they approach you and and how does it work exchanging the information that you have that turns into a script and then such a beautifully shot acted and produced tv show well the main historical consultant uh, on the crown is a very distinguished historian uh, robert lacy and he and i knew each other from some years back and he approached me and asked if I could perhaps help with some of the the more detailed authenticity questions about aspects of the crown, particularly things that I had firsthand experience of. And of course, I said I would be delighted uh, because it is a hugely successful, well-made uh, account. It's a drama, of course. It says it's fictionalized, but 
I was determined that at least so far as it covered things that I had seen with my own eyes, that it would be as accurate as possible. And I'm pleased to say, um, to a very large extent, even when the precise chronology perhaps has been slightly changed or there's been a little bit of dramatic license here and there, the overall impression is extremely faithful to reality. And uh, particularly the interplay of personalities, the kind of atmosphere, the way in which things work, uh, plus the fact that it's beautifully shot and and with, has great production values. I think it's, uh, I share your, your high regard for it. Yes, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully paced. That's what's so great about the show. And, you know, it draws you into these characters and you find yourself, you know, caring about them. And sometimes you get really mad at them. And sometimes you just try to understand them. Like, you know, King Charles throughout the crown, you know, we meet him as a little kid and you really feel bad for him, uh, particularly in season two, because, you know, he just he's brutalized by his dad, according to the show. And then he falls in love with Camilla as a younger man. And he 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 really wanted to be with her. She was like, yeah, maybe kind of I kind of like Andrew Parker Bowles a little bit better. So um, the queen, the queen mother, they all got involved and, and forced them to get married. And then they put so much pressure on Charles to find the perfect wife. Um, and he had dated Diana's sister, Sarah Spencer, at one point. And then the two of them got together through palace manufacturer and you know neither of them she wanted love he wanted camilla and you know they were sort of doomed from the start but you know you entered the picture in 1988 where was her marriage on on the marriage trajectory where did you enter i uh, the the trajectory was very much downward by that stage um but kennedy i will just go back to something you just said about you know, how it was just a palace manufacture. There were many occasions I saw them, even even um, when things were getting rough in the marriage, when there was obvious affection between them. Uh, being royal is actually quite lonely. The only other people who can understand what it's like are other royal people. And they understood what, what each other were, were coping with. They were like a dynamite, fantastic public double act when we were doing official engagements. So I always I always uh, take issue with people who say, oh, no, it was never going to work. Yeah, I think it could have done. And if there'd been a little more help from people who should have been supporting them instead of trying to pull them apart, I think uh, they could be together to this day. Who was trying to pull them apart? Well, wherever you have courts, you have cliques, and you have people around royalty who are determined to push their own agenda, who want to advance their social status, whatever, and they will uh, uh, set aside issues of morality or principle in order to advance their own status in the court with the royal people. And, um, you know, royal people are uh, in many ways insecure and they rely a lot on advice they get, on people who can influence them. They don't always choose well. So there were people who saw advantage for them in pulling Charles and Diana apart. On Charles' and, side uh, or Diana's side? Like his courtiers or hers? Uh, I would say his, yeah. Um, there was no advantage for her in pulling the thing apart. And that was, that was a, uh, a persistent source of regret 
for me. I mean, watching it up close was it was very disappointing to see that the opportunities to help them get over their difficulties, to find a compromise, to work together, were always dashed. It was really disappointing. Royal people are not good at compromise. No, especially when you are given everything, which, you know, takes us to Prince Harry, because, you know, you have, at least from an American perspective, here's a kid who has grown up with everything. He he lost his mother when he was young, and that's heartbreaking for people. And and people will always feel for him, and in that, that sense, they will always want to support him because something so critically important to him was taken away so cruelly and, and so quickly. And for that, he he will always have people's sympathy. But when he and his wife go on this nonstop tour of feeling sorry for themselves, it kind of falls on deaf ears. Um, and, you know, when when he takes issue with the palace, how much of that is him just not having any self-awareness at all and, and grousing about really privileged circumstances that he has never not known and how much of it is pretty accurate is is the royal family and the palace and and all that surrounds it the monarchy is it as horrible as harry and Meghan make it out to be that's a very good question i mean it has its its grittier aspects you don't survive as a dynasty for a thousand years without having a pretty good idea about self-preservation and, you know, if you are in the in the dynasty business, your number one responsibility is to survive. And your number two responsibility is to reproduce. And the British royal family, the monarchy, has been surviving and reproducing quite successfully for centuries and centuries. And that builds into them a certain tough um, uh, pragmatism. And it contrasts very sharply with what you might call the the Montecito mentality, which is much more about um, your own will and how you can almost uh, choose the truth you want. Significantly, we hear Megan talking about my truth, standing your truth. You know, for for somebody coming from the the palace side of of the equation, they would argue there is one truth, and it's very often a tough one. It's linked with uh, duty and service. It's to do with self-sacrifice, and it's to do with putting yourself second to the greater thing that you are there to serve. She can't quite get a grasp of that, which is, uh, you know, she she tries to have it both ways because she wants security. She wants titles. You know, she feels entitled to someone else's life. But at the same time, she makes these ludicrous statements like, I couldn't believe how formal it was. And it's like, lady, you're you're talking about the British monarchy. Is there any more formal institution on the planet Earth? Like, did she <laughs> think when the doors closed and it was just a family standing around, it was going to turn into a nonstop disco party? Uh, she was like, I, I tr- just tried to hug everybody. And it's like, well, maybe calm down a little bit. Maybe try and uh, be curious, figure out how, how things work. And maybe take a step back before you marry into this family and try and change everything to suit your needs. You used a very good word there, Kennedy. Perhaps she could have been more curious. You know, it is a fascinating organization. I mean, when I went to work for it, I was astonished at its history and how it actually did its business. And it's not at all similar to anything else you ever encountered. 
one of the most worrying things early on in in uh, Meghan's royal career was when she said she was going to hit the ground running. And that's a great sentiment, I suppose, if you're if you're in California. People love it when you hit the ground running. It sounds good, doesn't it? But if there's one organization you shouldn't hit the ground running, and it's this one. By comparison, Kate Middleton, when she joined, she said she was going to learn the ropes. And the truth is, it's it's not just because it's big and intimidating and might bite you if you don't learn the ropes. It also has a fantastic potential for doing good. I saw this working for Princess Diana, and this is perhaps, from my perspective, the, the biggest regret about Harry and Meghan. The British monarchy, the household that supports it, if you know how to operate, if you take the time and trouble to learn how it works, there's nothing it can't achieve. If you really want to make the world a better place, being a British princess is a great place to start. Yes, and and we see that uh, throughout, particularly um, seasons four and five of The Crown, when you see Diana's charity work, and you know you see her willingness in in season four. I believe it's episode nine when she goes to New York and she goes to the hospital ward for uh, children afflicted with AIDS. And, you know, she asks why they're orphaned and the doctor's like, no one wants to touch them. They're so stigmatized and, you know, no one wants to take care of them. And Diana took this child into her arms in a hospital bed. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful moment. It brings me to tears every time I watch it just because she knows what that, you know, that that quick act of compassion will do. She knows what the impact is. And it, it's such a, a beautiful and selfless moment. And I look at Harry and he just, he ruminates in his own manufactured problems. I mean, you really, at, at this point, you just have to make up reasons to be upset with the world. And, you know, with the help of his harpy wife, they, they find plenty all right, we got more of this interview after this. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Um, who is more like Diana, William or Harry? Well, I have to say, Kennedy, I see many more points of difference than points of similarity. Um, I mean, the, the, the incident you described was the, the Harlem Hospital Center in New York. I was on that trip. I was there. And it was very moving. And the hospital director said to me, you know, this is the first time anybody in public life in America has even mentioned HIV and AIDS. And Diana realized that because of the problems in her marriage, because she felt uh, marginalized by the royal family, she had an automatic affinity with other people who were stigmatized, who were shut out. So that hospital visit, I think, was really the start for her. She moved on into other areas like leprosy, addiction, mental health, Landmark. domestic violence. Yeah, well, landmines isn't within the same stigma aspect, but there is with addiction and mental illness and domestic violence uh, and leprosy. 
these were the things where she felt she had something special to contribute because of her own experience. She would say to me, Patrick, I can do this because I'm one of them. She didn't mean that she was literally a leper uh, or an addict, but she understood what it was like to be unwanted. And that was what gave her the authenticity to connect sincerely with people who were in great need. It's that authenticity that makes Diana different, I think, from a lot of other royal princesses. Do you think that Harry and Meghan have been um, satisfied with their need to talk about themselves? And will they go gentle into that good night? Or will they keep finding reasons to talk about their own lives in order to bore us to tears? Well, I think Netflix gave them 100 million reasons, uh, reportedly, uh, to talk about themselves. And with that kind of incentive, um, why would you ever stop? I think that what what this uh, documentary shows is that there is a market for this kind of um, uh, navel-gazing, for wallowing in your own uh, problems and for showcasing your own moral um, uh, code, your, your own philosophy. So I think there's going to be more of it. And I think that it, there is an appetite for it, particularly among uh, the young, among uh, progressive thinkers. They are, after all, up against what is... Uh, increasingly being characterized as uh, a wicked, um, evil, and historically corrupt institution, the British monarchy. It is now being associated, largely thanks to what uh, uh, Harry and Meghan have been doing, with um, history of racism, slavery. These are now the the issues that are being associated with the, the monarchy. They're part of the modern royal debate. The monarchy finds itself on the front lines of the culture wars, and it's really not equipped to fight there. Do you think William will be a good king? Uh, too soon to say. I mean, all kings are good if they remember that they are there uh, not to serve themselves or their pet projects. They are there to serve the greater good and to champion unity. They're going to need lots of unity after this, and they are there to to uh, promote British interests and to support uh, Britain's place in the world. Britain's place in the world is going to be damaged by these documentaries among people who uh, are willing to take at face value stories about how um, wicked and uh, prejudiced the the monarchy is. So I think any any future king is going to have to go back to the core values of the British monarchy, and that is serving British interests serving British people, serving its subjects uh, in realms around the world. It's not about trendy causes. It's about doing the hard work consistently, unglamorously over a long, long period. Yeah, which is what Princess Anne did. And, and she would get real mad. And, and she even raised issue with Harry and Meghan. She was like, you guys don't even work. You don't do anything. When you put in the real work, you know, and, and you, you're working for 70 different charities, then come talk to me. Until then, you know, shut it. Yep, that is that is the advice. Until then, shut it. If you want to be a successful princess, shut up, work hard, smile, wave. That's it. And after years of that, then you will understand the potential of what you have. You will understand your obligations to this ancient institution and to the people it exists to serve and then you will find that people listen and people will support and respect you. 
When Princess Diana um, passed away in 1997, did you think 25 years into the future people would still be as interested in her life as we are now? I didn't really think about the future. Uh, I was too too busy dealing with the present, but I'm really glad that she is still remembered. I think she is a great historical figure. I think she's, she's remembered for a very good reason. Um, she did demonstrate that although she was an aristocrat and, and a princess, she was able to uh, make people feel that they were cared for and cared about. She made a big point of this, that, that uh, she was very conscious. Her, what looked like a charmed life, her influence, her extraordinary profile was there for a reason. It was to do good for people who couldn't, um, uh, who didn't have a voice for themselves. But also, crucially, she recognized that her duty was also to promote British interests. Her, among her most successful associations were with her military regiments, her Navy ships, her Air Force stations. When we went abroad uh, on tours, it wasn't just to hospitals and leprosy uh, centers. It was to promote trade, um, cultural promotion too, diplomatic, uh, soft power. She was a great asset to British foreign policy. I don't think um, that's something that's going to be said very much about Harry and Meghan. Not anymore. Potentially it could have been, but by walking away, they have robbed themselves and the country of that potential. Yeah, I don't think either of them are very smart. Um was there ever a time where you had to sort of counsel Diana? Because the way she's portrayed, which is very different from the way you have talked about her, you've said that she was one of the most sane people you ever met. But but she was portrayed uh, pretty actively and openly as a troubled person um, with uh, who was in the throes of mental illness that made her incapable of dealing with everyday life. Was there ever a time where you had to counsel her like, you know, hey, Diana's a friend, like you got to lock it up. Well, we work very closely together. Uh, that sort of relationship depends on trust and a uh, an instinctive mutual understanding. She was um, accused of being mentally ill. She still is in some quarters regarded as having been mentally fragile, not really up to the job. I take great issue with that. And disgracefully, there were people who spread, who planted uh, stories purporting to show her as being mentally ill at the time when she was alive and since her death. Uh, I was very happy to oppose that kind of uh, underhand tactic till the cows came home. She was a very strong person. Given the pressure she was under, she had a clarity of thought, a quickness of wit. You'd have got on really well with her, Kennedy. She was funny. She was quick. She had great one-liners, and she could read people. Um, she had a, a gift that politicians would give their right arm for. She knew what people were thinking, what they needed, how they felt, and she uh, gave them what they wanted. That's why they loved her. That's why I hope they will always remember her. I heard from a friend of mine who had dinner with her that she had a, a very funny impression of the Queen. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did a few quite good impressions. Um, the Queen herself, of course, a famously good mimic. Uh, but uh, Dianette was very respectful of the Queen. Her, her uh, gripe was not with the monarchy. It was with her husband. And everything that you see about Diana, uh, you, have to, you have to see in that perspective. 
And what's interesting in Harry and Meghan's documentaries, they invoke Diana quite a lot and draw parallels with her. But they nowhere say that that Diana's issues arose from difficulties in her marriage, not difficulties with the crown. And indeed, she, um, you know, she stuck at it for uh, 16 years. Um, she really, really did put in the hard yards. One of the reasons she was so popular was that she was quite happy or quite willing to go to, you know, uh, inner cities on cold, wet nights and meet people and really do the unglamorous work as well as the, the stuff that we remember, the nice glossy photo calls. Is Prince Harry a consultant on the crown? I don't believe so. I do. Just watching it the way, because he, he doesn't insert himself in there. There's so much about William and people are like, oh, William must be. And it's like, no, it's not William, it's Harry. Especially the way, you know, if, if you remember the meeting that Diana and Charles have at Kensington Palace after they've divorced and he just kind of shows up. He's like, oh, my car just drove itself over here. And so in the beginning, the beginning of the conversation, like, oh, this is nice. Like, they're adults. They're going to be able to hash this out and come to some sort of understanding. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, he comes off like such a jerk, just completely full of himself, full of his own ego. He's so cruel and dismissive toward her. And he storms out. And I was watching that going, that is totally something planted by Prince Harry. Or did you provide that scene in that context for the producers? I didn't provide that specific scene, but there were such meetings around that time uh, when Diana told me that, that she was actually able to speak with, with the prince uh, with, with greater ease, with, with more friendliness than they had been able to for months. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily conclude from that that it was that Prince Harry was a consultant on it. Um, the, I mean, the fact that he doesn't feature very much in the in in the Crown may be just as much to do with with um, a lack of available time. There's a whole new season to come, and I think that as the story develops, Harry comes becomes a more and more significant player in it. The episode with Muhammad Al-Fayed in season five is so incredibly beautiful. And it really, it sets up what we are going to see in season six. And it's painful to think about because they, once again, did an amazing job creating an emotional connection and showing the relationship that Muhammad and Dodi had. And I I have never really known anything about Muhammad Al-Fayed other than he was the owner of Herod's. Uh, but, you know, the backstory and the way they show it, that was really beautifully done. And it's it's so beautiful. And that's what the show is so good at, at marrying uh, beauty and heartbreak all together for such a complete experience, which you are a part of because of your complete experience uh, with the late Princess Diana. Patrick Jefferson, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. You are a fascinating person. Thank you. Kennedy, thank you very much. Great to be with you. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.